Welcome to the podcast version of Police Science Doctor, the online resource bridging the gap between research and investigative practice. For police personnel who go the extra mile. For academics who want to connect better with investigative practitioners. On YouTube and on policesciencedoctor.com. Hello everyone, this is Suzanne Knabe from Police Science Doctor with your weekly dose of police science snippets. These police science snippets are basically three bits of hopefully practical information from recently published academic research that I think are hopefully of use to you because they are something you can put into practice straight away. So there are going to be publications, new research findings from the fields of investigative psychology, forensic psychology, criminology, police science, and all these related fields. I go through them every week to see if I can find three that I can then share with you. And I email them out to everyone on the Police Science Doctor email list, which is free to join. And then you will get the email with these snippets and the direct links to the actual research they're coming from sent to you every Tuesday. Just Google Police Science if you want to sign up. Go to Police Science Doctor and leave your detail in the form, details in the form that pops up or that you find at the bottom of every page. So the snippets I'm going to be talking about today are first of all, first of all about jury decision making. The study a study found that jurors base their decisions on the recommendation to accept a plea offer more on the perceived probability of conviction rather than on the perception of factual guilt or innocence. So they are deciding, okay, does this have a reasonable prospect of conviction? rather than what are the actual facts about guilt or innocence. And we used to do that in police as well. Um, I, I say we, I, I used to investigate and I used to pass cases on. I used to interview the suspect, put the case file together, and then a decision maker, maker would decide whether we have enough to charge or not. It's not about whether the person's guilty or innocent. It's whether, whether there's enough evidence to charge someone. Is there, it's called APOC here in UK policing, realistic prospect of conviction. And jurors do the same thing. Now, that's how we've set up our judicial system. System is not about guilt or innocence. It's about the level of evidence, um, which is sad, but that's, that's how things are at the moment. If you've got any thoughts of how that could be improved or whether it's different in your country, please just comment wherever you're watching this. The second snippet for this week is about child disclosure and their peers. Children often disclose adult transgressions such as maltreatment or, um, and other abuse to a peer. A study found that both the witness and peer were more credible when their reports were consistent with one another. So that's the actual victim um, and their peer. So when consistent, the witness and peer who disclosed was considered more credible than the one who concealed. Sorry, when inconsistent. So when the, when the, the actual victim and their peer, friend, for example, when they're saying the same thing, they're both regarded as credible. When one of them is saying something happened and the other person is saying something didn't happen, so they're inconsistent with each other, the witness who disclosed, who said something happened, was considered more credible than the person who said that nothing happened. Um, the findings indicate the potential importance of peers in the disclosure process, as they may support the witness's report and even be a credible disclosure when the witness is reluctant to disclose. So um, what I take from that is when you're dealing with uh, child abuse cases and where a child may make an allegation, maybe also speak to their peers, you know, a confidant, a sibling or um, a friend whom they may have disclosed to and maybe try and get their input as well. And the third and last snippet for today <clears throat> is about challenges for sex offence investigators. Okay, so we all know how difficult it is for sex offence victims to go through the 
process of reporting and um, contributing to the prosecution of an offender. But this is actually a study that was done from the perspectives of the officers that are doing the investigations. And I find it really, really interesting. I have actually emailed the lead invest and the lead researcher to see if I could maybe interview her about this because I think it's very important. So the study found that officers feel it can come, it can come down to luck of the draw um, and be based on whoever is available that is sent to interview a victim of sexual assault rather than who would be optimal for the case, as not every police officer is well suited to investigate these cases. So obviously, sex offence allegations are a very, very specific subset of all the crime that could be reported. And the study was saying that basically officers themselves found that not every officer is actually well equipped to deal with these issues. Um, so they should maybe not be, not all of them should be investigating these cases. However, the person who gets sent to interview the victim um, is usually the person, you know, the first person who's available. They were also saying that historic as well as third party reports are quite frequent. <clears throat> but are difficult to deal with in the sense that they often lack evidence. You know, if, if you're reporting that something happened two weeks ago and obviously all the forensic evidence has gone, it can be really difficult to prosecute. And that makes it difficult for, you know, for the victim to then maintain faith in the whole system. So I thought that was good to see that from the um, perspective of the officers themselves this time. And as I said, if you want to have these snippets sent to you, oh, these... Christmas lights have come on all by themselves. They actually went out yesterday because the battery was empty. That's good timing, though. Um, so, like I said, if you want to have these emails to you into your inbox every Tuesday, you just go on, get yourself onto the Police Science Doctor email list. And I hope this was of use to you. And I'll see you again with the next broadcast of Snippets next week. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. I hope you found this content useful. You can get access to each episode's transcript with key learning points, timestamps, and references if you get yourself onto my mailing list. Just go to the main website on policesciencedoctor.com and on the bottom of each page you will find a sign-up form for notifications of new content. Just enter your first name, your preferred email address, and the type of organization you work for. You will not get any spam. This is just for me to let you know about new content and for you to get access to all the transcripts.